Well, uh, Scott, I want to officially thank you and you know welcome you to the Afterlife Podcast. Thank you, Mark. So, you know, today we're going to talk about a very interesting theory. This is called the anti-universe theory. This has parallel connections into life away from planet Earth and specifically UFOs. You know, this is something that with all of our research that we've been doing here with the Afterlife Project, we've been looking at very intimately. Um, you know, we've we've built some systems that, that are still currently under development that, uh, you know, will hopefully help us validate uh, some of what we will talk about today. Okay. Um, and, you know, just for all of our listeners here, uh, first, I'll say that Scott is going to share a very interesting UFO incident that he experienced in just a few minutes. As we go through today's episode, you'll hear me reference um, photos and numbers that are associated to those photos. So to all of our listeners, if you are interested in looking at these photos in real time, you can find the link in today's show notes that will bring you to our webpage where you will find the photos and all of the information that we will discuss on today's episode. Using state-of-the-art science and technology, the Afterlife Podcast researches life after death, consciousness, wellness, and sustainable ways to increase longevity. We explore uncharted and mysterious cases involving UFOs and unexplainable paranormal manifestations. Here's your host, Mark DeLuca. So before we dive into this UFO incident that you experienced, Scott, I'd like to go back and just just talk about a few parameters that revolve around your upbringing, if that's okay. Absolutely. So you grew up in the United States. Is is that right? Correct. Yes. What 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 area of the United States? It was in it was in Ohio. Okay. And I was raised uh, Catholic just because uh, in that area, the schools were just uh, a little bit ahead, everybody felt. Um, uh, my father was a, uh, was a journalist and TV guy who uh, then later became uh, an evangelist. So there was a lot of spirituality, a, a lot of uh, Bible thinking and, and whatnot. And he, uh, if he was alive today... He still would not believe that I saw what I saw. I'm sure he would have trusted me, but he, when I would talk about it, um, he would sort of turn his head like, hmm, I don't know. And right. uh, I, I think it was sort of maybe ruined some of his uh, faith, perhaps, but I don't, I don't see it like that at all. So now let me ask you this. You know, you, you talked briefly about your father. Looking back at your family history, uh, specifically your parents, grandparents, and any other close uh, family members, do you mm-hmm. ever remember them describing any type of UFO or paranormal experience that they went through? No, they never never spoke that. Um, I only remember my grandfather saying that he saw Haley's Comet when he was tiny. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, and, and uh, if anybody would have seen something it would have been him uh, i think he was uh he was a mechanic but i think he was a, a very deep artist very open-minded and uh just one of those kind of personalities and energies it's just very cool and open sure 
So now in looking at your childhood, um, you know, the early years and as a teenager, does anything stand out um, that, you know, maybe it's an experience or just something that happened that relates in any way to UFOs or the paranormal realm? Um, when I was, uh, the first time I had ever seen anything was I was, uh, 10 and, um, it was, uh, it was in a backyard, uh, it was a huge, big orchard that we had had, uh, my parents lived behind and a bunch of guys, we were all playing and running around and the sun had just started to set. And, um, I just felt something sort of looking at me or just felt being observed as hard as that is to describe. And I just spun around and looked and up in the sky, about a quarter mile away was a large orb, orange orb, about the size of a FedEx truck, you know, that sort of uh, size and, and, and girth. And um, I just stood there and stared at it. And I pointed at it to one of my friends and he was amazed and the other guys saw it and they actually, all of them ran. Uh, they were all just scared. And I just kept looking at it Months later, three big helicopters came in to the view and they sort of did it, you know, in a triangular shape. And it just sort of moved around very slowly up and down, left and right. And they were just chugging away, burning all that fuel. Uh, and then in a split second, it was gone. It just, just zipped gone and they chased after as, as quickly as they could. Um, and that just sort of blew me away. <laughs> That is incredible. So you were 10 years old, you said, when you first saw this. Correct. Now, how many other UFO experiences or sightings have you gone through? Uh, there were 11 more. Um, oh. it was always an orb, which is unusual, I think. You know, it's like there's so many things, I think, flying around. Um, but some of the people describe them as, you know, cigar, TikTok, triangular, uh, but... Orbs are also very, very big. Um, so, yeah. so now, so, you know, in total that that's, that's 12 UFO sightings or experiences were all of them in the Northeastern region. Yeah. I'm living now in Massachusetts. I've been um, up in Maine a couple of times where it was just beautifully clear. Sometimes we'll, we'll vacation up there and I've seen them at night. Um, pointed it out to my son who we were watching, uh, you know, as, as dark as it is up there. It's amazing. We were looking at some satellites moving around and he was like, what's that? And I said, well, if it's moving in this geosynchronous orbit, that, that's a satellite. And he was like, oh, I said, but what's that? And there was this one that was flying across the sky from left to right and then would back up and then it was, it was amazing. And we just stood there and and amazement and laughed at that we just shared this. Um, so yeah, and but really the, the the most impressive one, it was about two years ago, it was in my backyard, uh, floating around a little swimming pool. And I thought to myself, I hadn't seen a UFO for a while. And so just jokingly, I put my hands out in front of my face away um, as if a photographer filmmaker was like, you know, framing a scene and I, and I just was laughing. I said, come on, you guys right here, come up right in here. And one did it, it uh, my, my mouth was wide open. I could not believe it. Center of my hands above my neighborhood, uh, was an orb. 
and it just started moving from left to right and went up over top of the house. It was, I looked at my uh, phone, it was like 7.15 p.m. in the summer. Um, I came out the same time the next day, looking up in that same airspace and saw two. They were sort of um, playing with each other. It seemed there was one that was larger and a smaller one, like a puppy, was going all around the larger one as they just at the same slow speed went by. The, the little one was moving quickly around it. And then I decided I'm going to camp out here and I want to get videotape. I'm a professional photographer. I've been a photographer for many years. And I learned that day how hard it is to shoot something in the sky that's very small. <laughs> uh, but I set everything up. Um, and uh, I'll never forget my son stuck his head out of his bedroom window and said, did you get anything yet? And I said, nope. He closed his window. And then I yelled out, there it is. And uh, I got tape of it. It just moved in the same direction, same speed. And then after I got that video, I, I had not seen one there since. God, that's, that's fascinating. And you're a lucky guy. Thank you. <laughs> what, so, so, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, when we look at these, these uh, 12 UFO sightings. Yes. And if we were to think about the time of year, was there any type of pattern or... You know, as far as, you know, in the summertime, in the wintertime, or was it just sporadic? Um, it was sporadic. Um, you know, really thinking about that, I think it was more, well, only because I'd be outside, you know, um, warmer weather, you know, uh, be sitting outside somewhere. Um, one of the times I'd seen one was a, maybe about 10 years ago in my backyard talking to a friend, um, and I saw an orb, big silver orb, very mirror-like, very metallic. And it was just under the clouds as the sun was setting. So um, it just was, it just almost matched the, the look of the clouds in the sky. But with my eyes, because of a photographer and my martial arts training and all this other stuff that I do, I'm just in, in tune to anything that moves around or seems to, I don't know, be looking. So I just pop up my eyes and I see this thing. And um, I look over at my neighbors who were in the backyard and they were having a drink, looking up at the sky because it was beautiful. They didn't see anything. I could tell because it just went right over top of them. And when I told my friend about it, he told me what he had seen one time. So it was a good time to, to share our stories. Yeah. So, so, you know, these these early years of your life, um, you know, I, I know you said that you experienced your first UFO sighting at ten years old. But you know, early on, what were your thoughts as far as you know, life away from planet Earth, or you know, regarding you know, could there actually be something from a different planet inside of this space vehicle? You know, I don't think that I was even aware of anything like that. Uh, back then, um, I'm, I'm, I was aware of certain things, spiritual uh, ideas of people visiting other people. I'd had some people tell me that, um, you know, they, they saw their mother. Um, she had just died. And, she, you know, uh, my father told me a story about feeling something, looking at his clock uh, and then getting a call saying, you know, uh, your father died. Um, at that moment, you know, so I knew that there was some things like that. And uh, I was certainly open minded 
and I've always been lucky. You mentioned lucky earlier, and I've always been lucky uh, in, in anything I've done, you know. So I don't see why I would stop with seeing something in the sky, you know. Sure. So I'd like to talk about an, an interesting subject, and, and that's called the five elements of UFOs. I've, I've spoke about this in past episodes. Our, our research has involved this very heavily. We've also you know, connected with other researchers and, and discussed this. Uh, so, you know, when I talk through this and, you know, we review these five elements, I'd like you to you know, think about the 12 instances that you've observed these UFOs and reference each element to it. And I'm curious to see what your thoughts are as we you know, move through each of the elements, if that sounds okay. That sounds fine. So, you know, the first one is you know, no obvious signs of jet propulsion, right? Correct. I think, I think this is a big one where, you know, all of our known aircraft today use some type of propulsion system. Mm. And, you know, that propulsion system really limits what the capability is. It leaves a recognizable pattern that we'll talk mm. about here in just a moment. Yeah. Uh, with, with these 12 UFOs that you observed, did you identify any type of propulsion system to them? No, not one. You couldn't, there would be no feeling, you know, if a jet rips over your house, um, you hear it, you feel it, it shakes. Um, there was nothing. Mm. No, no, uh, no, like sort of bending of, you know, the air behind it, like uh, any turbulence. It was just uh, just sort of part of it all. Okay. So, you know, something else, you know, before we move into the second element that you said very early on, and I found this really interesting, you referenced a cigar shape, a tic-tac shape. Yes. And I, I think this is really important because, you know, some of the, our research and things that we've completed was we've taken, uh, you know, all of the early reports. So, you know, the initial reports coming in from the Cold War era, all mm -hmm. the way forward to present day, right? There's these wonderful databases out there that you can analyze and parse yes. all of that data. Right. Well, basically what we've done is we've we've taken that data and we've eliminated any reports where, hey, you know, we can validate that this was actually something else, such as a weather balloon. Right. Well, now you have the subgroup of reports where they're they're fairly credible and a large majority of them actually reference a tic-tac shape ufo interesting um you know as we see more credible resources come forward such as the united states government the military david frazier i'm sure you've seen that tic tac yeah. video absolutely um you know i think that is really opening people's minds but you know again it goes back to this particular shape this cigar shape tic tac shape yeah um, you know we've even looked at uh, several several uh, uh reportings from commercial airline pilots there was mm -hmm. actually one i believe it was last year over in new mexico where a tic-tac shaped object uh, suddenly appeared out of nowhere directly above their aircraft and then disappeared oh my <laughs> uh, but again all of these seem to revolve around the cigar shaped tic-tac yes um, you know ufo shape it's just really interesting it is i mean because you know uh, I, I said to a friend today, I was, you know, going to do this podcast and I said to her briefly something I'd experienced. And she said, how, how do you know, how do you know that that was something else? 
And it's hard to answer that, you know, if you see a, a tic-tac shape. But my, my answer to her was, you kind of feel it. You know, you, you look at something um, and you just kind of know, you know, not only because of the way it moves or anything else, but there's a, there seems to be something that sort of comes off of it that you sort of click into. Well, yeah, no, I'm, <clears throat> I think you're absolutely right. I, I think also, you know, you spoke on this earlier. You are very in tune to your surroundings. Mm. Um, you know, just from talking to you, I think that you possess the traits that a lot of people don't. And that's that's simply asking the questions of how and why, you know, having curiosity, wanting to know the answers. Yes. Uh, you know, I think as as a researcher, or just everyday person, that's something that we should always be asking because it's going to allow us to advance not only as a civilization, but also yeah. find some of the, the, you know, the answers to the greatest mysteries that that remain unsolved. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And it's just almost like welcoming distant neighbors, perhaps, you know, I mean, or, or family. I mean, well, we're all instead of just one world, it's one multi-universe. It just keeps on going. Yes. Yes. Well, so, you know, taking a look at the second element here, and, and this has to do with sudden movement, also referred to as spontaneous acceleration. I, I know you've talked about how these UFO objects that you observed were, were moving around um, kind of sporadically, and then they were able to uh, obtain these very surreal and fast speeds. So yeah. you know, they were able to, to meet this threshold of, of spontaneous acceleration. Yes. And you know, I think this in itself is, is one of the most important elements, because when we consider any known technology that we have today, mm. um, not only in the United States, but across the board, there is nothing that allows us to achieve a speed basically going from hovering. So zero miles per hour yeah. to in some cases where it's been documented by the military, achieving a speed of 36,000 miles per hour, which is ultimately what you're describing. Wow. Yeah. There's, you know, if, if we had that technology with the designs of the aircraft that are in our inventory today, the pilot inside would basically be turned into a scrambled egg. Yes, it's just no not possible. So now I'm also not dismissing the fact that, you know, there could be something out there and it's kept very classified. You know, I'm not dismissing that. However, right. I, you know, throughout the course of time, I mean, this goes all the way back to the Cold War. This goes back 10,000 years, as we'll talk about here in a few minutes with the ancient civilizations and cave drawings. Mm -hmm. That was not around. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it just, you know, we weren't even flying as human beings. Yeah. that far back. So that's how I don't believe that is related. I agree. <laughs> you know, I, I think likely what is happening is, you know, it's, it, it's a good mix of misinformation. It's a mix of, you know, governments uh, mm -hmm. conducting intelligence gathering, but then it's surreal events that have to actually do with UFOs and life away from planet earth. Yeah, exactly. And that's really, really scary to just regular folks. And I can imagine how scary it is for a government. You know, it's, uh, it's constantly uh, battling defense and fear and whatnot, you know. Um, so moving on to the third element, this is hypervelocity signatures. You spoke about this a little bit before with, you know, where you did not hear any type of sound whatsoever that, um, emitting from this this UFO, especially when it traveled at very fast speeds. So, you know, I think it's really important for our listeners to understand if an object based upon our current knowledge today were to travel from zero to 36, 
thousand miles per hour. It's going to leave some type of sonic boom. It's going to leave vapor trails. And you observed none of that, correct? Correct. Nothing. Nothing at all. Trees didn't move, you know, nothing. Uh, and the helicopters, um, when I had seen that one move so quickly, uh, they, they just took off. And with, I think they were Chinooks. And as good as they are, um, they were so slow coming out of the gate. And uh, just chugging away, the ground was shaking, everything. And um, I, I don't think, I would love to just talk to some of those pilots, you know, and say, you know, what the heck was that, you guys? Well, you, you, know? you bring up, you know, the, the element of what we would imagine the United States military pursuing this object. Mm. It, you know, that's a whole different paradigm to where, you know, now we know whatever this object was, which, again, based upon some of the elements we're describing, is not of this world mm. uh, based upon our current knowledge. So, you know, that, that there tells us that it's something that they were tracking or, or trying to learn about. Um, you know, there's other, there's other reports like you're describing where um, an entire town, I believe this happened in Texas, where it observed a UFO and then directly behind the UFO was a whole trail of Chinooks and, you know, fighter jets pursuing this object. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what's fascinating about this particular one, because we briefly looked into it, the citizens, um, you know, started to, you know, basically talk more and more about this incident. The, the military there or the government tried to, to squash it. And yeah. it, it became at the time national news. And it actually turned out in the end that that the military and, and the, the United States government actually tried to cover it up. Wow. And say no we were not there that night well then later on when they pulled the logs it showed well wait a minute you were there yeah you were <laughs> so, there and you know, what were you doing yeah um you know that, that's really interesting and you know that kind of goes into the next part here the, the the fourth element where we see that these very credible ufo reportings have some type of cloaking technology that mm. allows them to avoid radar detection i see I think that's really interesting because we see a lot of these reports come in, especially like the one I'm talking about in Texas, likely the yeah. incident that you went through where you observed this UFO, Chinooks chasing it. There's going to be some type of radar trail, again, mm. based on the technology that we have. Yeah. Um, as we've seen with the David Frazier videos, the this particular UFO, the tic-tac-shaped object, was actually jamming the radar. Wow. And, you know, for our listeners to understand how big of a deal that is, that is an act of war, right? So, no, yeah, and it's, it's you know, so the chances of it being another country, could it be? Sure, you know, definitely for intelligence gathering. But in, in Frazier's video, I don't believe that was the case. But my question becomes, how in the world are they able to cloak, the you know, and jam or remain undetected from all types of radar systems that we have? Yeah, yeah. What a great defense! You'd be, you'd you'd be visible but invisible at the same time, so you really couldn't be shot at, you know. Um, and and if they have that technology, you just worry about like uh, what they might have if we did attack them. Yes. You know, I mean, technology. I don't care who you are, or what you are. Uh, it, it always sort of leads to weaponry, because you know, self defense. So. I, I have not heard you describe this last element that I'm curious to see or to get your, your, your thought on this. And so, so the final element has to do with transmedium 
uh, transportation. So basically going from flying in the air to then having the ability to immediately dive into the water and, you know, navigate the, the water space. Um, you know, this has been detected and observed again around the time frame of the David Fraser videos. Um, yes. And it was actually identified on the USS Princeton, which had tracked two, mm. two vessels moving underwater at 70 knots. Wow. Um, again, I just want to put that into perspective to all of our listeners. The yeah. reason why that's so impressive is because that is two times faster than our nuclear submarines. Wow. So, you know, in any of your incidents, did you ever observe any type of transmedium travel? I have not. Um, and I've been to Florida a lot of times. And I know that there's a lot of sightings down there. There's a lot of activity. Um, I haven't. No. Interesting. Would love to. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, all right. So I'd like to kind of pivot here and talk about an interesting uh subject and i'm going to reference a couple of the photos uh you know again just for our listeners if you're interested in in looking at these photos in real time the link is in today's show notes that'll take you to our webpage where you can check them out um you know with this next discussion i'd like to go back in time to around the era of the cold war and mm -hmm. the reason i want to talk about this is because it leads into some of the first mass reportings of ufos mm -hmm. but it also starts the process of where the United States started a campaign revolving around misinformation and discrediting UFOs. Okay. And, you know, that ultimately has led us to where we are today. So, again, going back to the Cold War time, if we reference photo number four, yep. this is basically a form that was uh, developed by the United States government. Uh, specifically to be used by the Air Force. This was a reporting form for anybody that had observed a UFO or unidentified flying object at the time. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting here is during this time frame, we see a very large number. I'm talking about a huge number of UFO reportings. Wow. Now, at this same time, though, and which kind of muddies the water a little bit, if, if we reference photo number two, we had both the United States military and other government agencies outside of the United States trying to develop uh, flying technology that resembled a UFO. So, yeah. so basically a circular shape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, photo number two here, you know, this is really interesting because this is actually one designed and developed by the U.S. Yeah. Uh, saucer. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so photo three actually breaks apart and shows the schematics. And you know, this is really interesting. And, you know, it goes into what you and I were just talking about, where, again, based upon our technology. So looking at this, this is a propulsion system in its most basic form. Mm. We can see it has an exhaust, an exhaust duct as well yeah. as several other parts here. But this is going to leave if let's just say this was able to fly very effectively. Yeah. Some type of signature. Oh, yeah. And it would be loud as heck, too. Absolutely. Well, you know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, with this particular, uh, we'll call it a UFO design, this mm -hmm. was only able to actually fly no more than three feet off the ground. Mm, um, you know, so, so to, you know, the people that described this and the people that attempted to fly this described it as if you bounced a basketball sure. and how it just kind of went wherever 
it wanted to go. That's that's kind of how this operated. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And they got that photograph just in the time, so it would appear like, oh, <laughs> he's going up to up to the right there, but he was going to just come back down. <laughs> you know, I bring this up though because the if we look at the Cold War era the United States and the world was in panic because of the Cold War. Sure. Uh, basically, at this time, the United States started to get this very large volume of US, UFO reports. Mm. And the concern was that if those reports made it out to the public domain, the world would go into overdrive as far as panic and disarray. Sure. So this is actually documented where, where they developed a plan mm-hmm. uh, to receive, process, and disseminate the UFO information, and also to do it in such a way where it discredits and um, provides some type of misinformation tactic. Interesting. Now, you know, the reason why that's really important is because we still see that today, right? Um, you sure. Know, when we hear, I've spoken to so many different people, um, you know, all the way, all, all the way up to nuclear scientists, and mm-hmm. you know they've experienced things. They have beliefs, yet a lot of people are very wary on coming forth and bringing that their story to the public because of that stigma. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I've I've experienced that. Um, yeah, I, I think it. You know, a lot of that goes back to this this initial campaign that was started which was a discredit and misinformation campaign by the U S government that was very successful. Yeah. They're branding it. You know, they're just saying, if you're, if you're seeing these things, you're wrong. Yes. And you could be crazy or you're drunk or whatever. I, I believe that we are at a time right now that, you know, going forward the next couple of years into maybe even a decade where it is such an important time because that, that discredit information is starting to disappear. Yeah. You know, we have these very credible, um, yeah, you know, too much for them to keep up on. Yes, yes. And, you know, when you have the, the U.S. government, when you have the Navy fighter pilots, when you have lots of people coming forward and saying, but wait a minute. Yeah. What, you know, what is this? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's it's definitely going to start to bring some attention. And as a matter of fact, in- interestingly enough, I, I forget the, the new name that they've created for this, but the U.S. government just created another task force to <laughs> research this type of incident. That's great. Yeah, hopefully they, you know, actually just go ahead and do that, you know, straight out without the, dis, you know, discrediting. I, I, it's like what you're doing is using science not to say this is wrong or you were wrong. You're, you're, you're trying to prove that they were right. Well, and, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, again, you have to you have to rely on facts. Right. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the data and everything that we've looked at up to this point, I, I can sit here today and say as a researcher um, that there is something there. There's something much bigger going on. Yeah. Um, there's something that warrants research and analysis to a greater extent. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe that we need to use, you know, opinion to help guide us, to, you know, to the answers. But we have to be very careful when it comes to non-factual information. Sure. Yeah. Emotion can't be a part of it or fear. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, referencing photo one here, you know, this was an interesting photo obtained July 1952. This was a amateur uh, photographer that actually captured this in New Jersey. Does, huh. does this in any way look like something that, you, that, that you've seen? 
No, I'm uh, I'm an orb guy. Hmm. I have not seen that shape. Um, mine are always uh, the orbs either uh, red glowing, I think, when they're alarmed, and other times, uh, you know, sort of like a mirror moving through. If they were through dark clouds, they'd be dark. And when they came out into the open, if it was cloudy, they would be cloudy looking, yeah. you know. Um, but I'll keep a sharp eye out for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so, you know, something else that I find really, really interesting is that, you know, if we look back to ancient civilizations, right, um, I'm going to reference photo number six. Mm. Th this particular photo is actually a cave painting from roughly around 10,000 years ago, Great. depicting some type of alien life. So th this was actually recovered out of a cave in India. Uh, so, you know, if we look at the photo on the left here, this one's a little hard to identify, but, you know, your imagination can run wild with what this could be. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, some researchers and scientists say that, well, this very well looks like some type of UFO that is sitting on three legs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that one's a little iffy, right? I'm not too sure, sure. what that could be, but the one on the right is almost, you can't deny that one. Yeah, um, exactly. The grouping, the shape. Yes. The, the idea that they're not wearing, uh, you know, any any clothes that would be a fur or something. Yes. Uh, very interesting. And in that little group. Yes. And, you know, this to put this photo in perspective, this is actually really tall. Right. So, you know, the photo makes it look small, but the one on the right is actually very big. I see. Um, so when you when you look at this closer, you know, you can obviously tell that this is some type of humanoid shape. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the, their heads are much bigger. For sure. And, yeah. you know, that seems to be a common trend when you go back and look at ancient civilizations where, you know, you have this humanoid body, but the head yeah. is always large. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. You can even see the arms look very long. They're at their sides, you know, yes. long torso. Yeah. I know that it's a wide angle lens shooting down, but nonetheless, the. Uh, the scale is there. What, you know, so, you know, something I find really interesting is this, you know, looking at ancient civilization and, you know, what we can learn from them, right? This, this only goes back 10,000 years. That mm. is not that far back. If you look at the big picture, sure. right? Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever, ever uh, researched this or, you know, read anything about this, but uh, have you ever heard of a underground city called Daring Coup? I have not. So, so Darren Koo is this underground city that was actually discovered in Turkey. Hmm. Um, for our listeners, it's spelled D-E-R-I-N-K-U-Y-U. -E the reason I bring this up is because this particular underground city uh, dates all the way back to ancient civilizations, but it was discovered directly underneath of a city that's obviously on the surface. So one like you and I are currently living in right now. Mm -hmm. um, the reason this is important though is because this particular city, Derinku, goes all the way down roughly around five to six stories, I believe. So, you know, you're talking three miles down. Wow. I mean, highly sophisticated. A at the time, um, a lot of researchers say, well, the reason why Derinku was developed was because they were preparing for war and basically they would retreat into this underground system. Hmm. The only issue to that is, is, you know, when I think of that, you know, to, 
even when you span back to all of our records that we have, you know, when we're engaged in war or other countries are engaged in war, to this day with our technology that is, you know, far more advanced than it likely was back then, sure. we never build underground cities, right? No. You know, so when I think about, you know, building a very large underground city that would obviously take a very long time to do, oh, yeah. I, it, it just doesn't sound like the city would be built for those purposes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it almost begs the question, was this city built for another reason, um, whether it was maybe some type of alien life had arrived on the planet or something along those lines. Sure. But, you know, I think this leads into another interesting uh, question or theory that I often like to discuss is, you know, we go back however far we can possibly go back to to where we found the remains and histories of the very first human or civilization right right so that's just the point of you know when we discovered that okay this is when we believe this dates back to you know my question becomes well was there some type of life here on earth before that right so going all the way back i'm talking even prior to the ice age we don't know yeah it's true Um, And that's why I I really believe that, you know, exploring these uncharted um, caves or these uncharted areas to look for these ancient civilizations can really, you know, guide us in, uh, you know, a direction like we see here. Yeah, it's funny. I've always thought about this, drawing a correlation between, you know, back in these 10,000 years ago, was it the artist who knew how to make these paints and people there trusted him or her to be the one to tell the story. So was it the artist who, who saw these things and did that? Or was it somebody who came running over and said, you know, um, whatever their name would be, um, you have to draw this out. Yes. Uh, a witness, you know, his nose was longer. No. Okay. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, and it's always the artists who are telling the story. So if you watch, of course, ancient aliens, we love that show. There's these ancient uh, old time painters, the classic painters, where they're putting little flying UFOs and whatnot, people pointing at them, again, telling the story. And then I think about maybe the aliens a long time ago, leaving their artwork here, where we see things like the pyramids, where we can't figure out how did they possibly do this, or some of the uh, carvings that are uh, an entire church out of uh, just one piece of stone. It's like, it's almost like they, they did their artwork here and they yes. left, you know? So through art and science, I feel like we could make some connection. Well, you, you know, something that I always like to, to analyze and put in perspective for myself is to consider this, you know, there's, there's over a hundred billion galaxies a hundred billion stars in our own, right? Mm. We're, we're one planet with 7.7 billion people. <laughs> you can't tell me that we're just the lucky planet and that there's yeah. not life somewhere else out there. Right. No doubt. Yes. And no. so if you, if, if you think about how hard it's to try, yeah. yes, no, I, yeah. I mean, it really is. Right. I mean, it's, you know, to think about this, it, you know, this, this thought process absolutely fascinates me, but it's, if you think about how hard that we think about and try to 
you know, to make it to other planets and try to research, hey, you know, is there life somewhere else out there? You can't tell me that if there's another planet with life out there, they're not doing the same exact thing. Doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. They're curious, yes. you know. And, and I imagine we, we appear like the Amazon to them. You know, we've never seen uh, a man before. <laughs> I would know? think so, yeah. You know, it's... And, you know, for all we know, they could be much more advanced than we are here on Earth. Yeah. Yeah, for um, sure. Well, so, you know, something I want to get, uh, you know, your opinion and thoughts on is yep. this this theory that we're researching and taking a look at. And this is called the anti-universe theory. So, you know, basically to explain this in, in a relatively simple form. Yeah. The anti-universe theory basically states that. There's another parallel universe, just like the one that we're familiar with, mm -hmm. yet this parallel universe mirrors our own, only everything is basically flipped upside down and goes backward. <laughs> right? So, you know, this, this sounds a little, well, I, you know, a little wacky at first, but what's, what's really interesting here is that science and technology actually stands behind this theory. Um, and, and I'll explain how here in, in, in just a moment. But, you know, at the core of this theory, everything starts with the Big Bang, right? All of us are familiar with the Big Bang. Sure, yes. Basically, you know, the conventional account of the Big Bang says that a single universe or cosmos was created, right? right. Well, with the anti-universe theory, um, and let me just tell you this, scroll, um, I'm going to reference, you know, reference photo number five as I talk about this. It puts it yeah. in perspective. Yes. So the yellow dotted line is the Big Bang. Gotcha. We're going to say that the, the universe on the right is the one we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. So basically what the anti-universe theory states is that at the time of the Big Bang, the, the uh, particles that, that we're familiar with, were mm -hmm. projected forward into the universe again that belongs in our space so the one on the right yes but it also states that at the same time another anti-matter anti-universe was created from that big bang which makes sense if you think about the mm -hmm. uh, physics behind that sure. going in the opposite direction right right now the reason i bring this up is because you know when we talk about you know anti-matter and these particles yeah well you know one of the particles or, or actually it's it's kind of coined grouped together and you know these are called neutrinos okay right. so you know neutrinos um, you know most people would um, be familiar with them as there, there's three different types electrons mu uh, muons and uh, tau is how it's pronounced it's actually spelled t-a-u i believe but you know so you know, when we look at this subgroup of neutrinos, yes, we find that um, they primarily originate from either the sun or the stars, right? Mm -hmm. Here, here on Earth, they can originate um, at nuclear reactors. Okay. Oh, well, right. where where it gets really interesting is with what I'm about to say next. Is you know, we, you know, neutrinos pass through the human body every single day billions of them and we have no idea it's always speculated that a neutrino cannot pass through earth right so it cannot pass through a planet i see well in the antarctic there's actually a sensing platform or an antenna and this is called the antarctic impulsive transient antenna 
right? Yeah. So basically, this antenna is designed to scan for neutrinos or high energy particles. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, basically, again, just like I spoke on, a, a neutrino originates from space and makes its way down to um, the surface of the Earth. And then it bounces off the ice, ice sheets and then jumps back up to where the antenna picks it up. And that's how we're able to sense, you know, all of that rather incredible technology that was designed. Yeah. Well, where this becomes really interesting is that on several different occasions, this antenna detected these high energy particles originating from the ground. Right. So we can, you know, this antenna, the the sensing uh, platform can detect if something is coming from space and bounces off of the ice sheet because it's going to have a different, uh, you know, signature than if it just simply originates from the core of the earth. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, when researchers and scientists took a look at this, you know, the only possible answer that makes sense is that, you know, when we consider the anti-universe theory and, you know, we take a neutrino, well, again, we have these neutrinos in our universe today, the the opposite or the sister of that neutrino would be an anti-neutrino, right? Right, right where unlike a neutrino that has a left-handed spin, a anti-neutrino would have a right-handed spin and would be much, much more larger. There's some other characteristics around that, but the the reason I bring that up is because based upon those uh, anti-neutrino characteristics, it would allow the anti-neutrino to actually travel and traverse through a planet. Wow. Again, these are being detected by the the antenna that is located in the antarctic yeah numerous different occasions yeah its intention was only one way i imagine this must have been a big surprise well you know when you think about this theory and i know that's you know it's very hard to explain um likely very hard you know to understand i hope i explained that you know no you did terms but you know when you think about that you know again the physics makes sense but the reason why that's important is because when you think about the time frames, right, and how you know we see all of these ancient civilizations documenting ancient, or excuse me, documenting type some type of alien life, UFOs, whatever it may be, right. The time frame almost lines up with the anti-universe theory mm. that would therefore make all of that possible. Wow. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I, it's fantastic. So that's what makes it so credible for me because you're already in this, you know, realm of UFOs and everything else. It makes sense. I mean, I, I totally adhere to the the concept of the yin and yang. Uh, I even have that tattooed on me to remind me of balance. Um, and it, it, it would only make sense. I mean, the way this graph is as well is what a lens does with an image, flips it, and it's upside down on the other side. Um, and, and anytime you have an explosion, it, it goes one way, it goes the other. If you shoot a bullet, you got the recoil going one way and the projectile going the other. So there has to be an action and then a reaction. That's, so That's a great way to explain it. I could, I could totally see that, but it's really hard to wrap my brain around it. I mean, it's it's... It would be scary to think of that, but 
you know, <laughs> kind of have to get over it, I imagine. Well, and I think what could make this possible is, and I've, I'm not going to dive into detail here, but I'm sure all of our listeners, I've, I've spoke about the Al-Kabiri drive in previous episodes. Right, yes. Where, you know, this this theory of basically using what we can call a wormhole or a space tunnel, whatever you want to call it, right. where you're basically uh, changing how time and space operates in a way, right? So you're, you're basically taking a spacecraft, some type of space vehicle, and mm-hmm. it's not the actual space vehicle itself. It's the space bubble that allows you to achieve this uh, long uh, transportation, but you're not actually achieving the speeds of you know sixty three thousand miles per hour with the space vehicle itself, right? Uh, you know, one of the best ways I like to explain this is if, if you think about taking a piece of paper, yep. drawing a dot at the very top, dot at the bottom. If you were to ask most people, okay, show me the quickest way to get from the bottom dot to the top dot. Well, most people would just simply draw a line. <laughs> what if you folded the paper in half? That's not my first thought. Yeah, <laughs> right? fold it lay right on top. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you fold that in half. That's the same principle of the Alcabiri drive. And it's huh. been shown that it's possible. And what that, again, may reference is that these other planets these other uh, you know this other universe other galaxies whatever you know wherever this life is they have made you know they have somehow possibly identified the way to use this technology and that would therefore bridge the gap of bringing them from point a to point b where point a is their universe their planet point mm-hmm. b is ours and they're able to do that very effectively yeah that's <laughs> What a thought that is. That's crazy. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, here's my, my, my last question for you. And, you know, this yeah. is something I'm always interested in. You know, sure. when we look back um, throughout the years, we see lots of people come forward, you know, describing, hey, you know, I've worked on this particular UFO project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done this, that. Uh, there's been numerous government officials that have come forward and said, look, we have recovered ufos we have recovered space vehicles and other uh, artifacts that are not of this world yeah Um, there's even documentation that validates that this has taken place and that you know again like you and i spoke on before where you know obviously our government wants to keep this a secret they don't want to cause panic but they you know obviously it's common sense if they you know if they found something that is out of this world that is that allows for us to do exceptional things yeah most most people unfortunately it's a terrible thing but they're going to want to exploit that yeah do you believe that we have recovered ufo's or some type of alien technology i do i do um it only makes sense that one of them could perhaps crash you know i mean they're it's still a machine and they break down uh and and i i just can't imagine that they wouldn't have and you also you see these stories about these these men usually uh who are you know approaching the end of their lives and they've talked about it you know and they were they were like i have nothing left to lose you know it's it's i'm not going to hold true to the uh anything that i signed that i would not speak you know, and they, they kind of had to tell their story. And it's just, that's amazing to me. Yeah. So, yes, I do, you know, and, and it probably 
with some reverse engineering going on, you know, in a very basic way. Um, but I'm sure that we're missing some big parts of it. So, you know, Scott, like I spoke on before, um, you know, I believe each little story like this is a piece to the puzzle and it allows us to put the puzzle together so we can see the big picture. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this really, really helps um, not only talking about it with, and with our research, but, you know, I can tell you personally that from past episodes where we've had people on talking about certain things, yeah, it, it basically, you know, gives them a comfortable feeling where they then can come forward and tell their story, which again is another piece of the puzzle that will help the big picture. Yes, for sure. No, and I feel that way. I feel I feel happy to have shared this, you know, especially with this forum. Um, it's just great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, absolutely. You know, we I'd like for us to, you know, stay in contact. Uh, you know, likely we'll have some some comments, feedback come into us about this. And I, I'd like sure. to provide those over to you. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, also, you know, as we move forward, I'm, I've, I've just joined a space exploration project. Uh, yeah. called called Thor, where we are researching um, deep space exploration, and specifically uh, what it looks like to travel toward Mars, not necessarily to colonize, but to use it as a stepping stone. Yeah. So, so this, this is a, a legitimate uh, project that is being spun up and or has been created, I, I should say. So as mm -hmm. we go through that, absolutely, let's stay in contact. I'd love to, to, to talk about it with you, get your opinions and you who, you know, who knows, maybe we'll discover something that uh, is very out of this world, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I hope I have my camera with me and uh, well, I'm next to you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Scott, and, you know, I'll close it out by saying this. Uh, if, you know, wherever in your area, um, you know, we hopefully have some, some research planned in the Northeast area with, you know, some different things. You know, again, our primary focus is using science and tech to validate that there's either life after death or there's not UFOs yeah. are real or they're not. And what's this life away from planet earth look like? Um, you know, we've opened up many different channels to explore this yeah. overarching topic. And I would absolutely love to have you come out and, you know, explore some of that with us one time. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, Scott, again, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome, Mark. Thank you so much.